2: Jason Kebler has a big-time job these days as the founder of the news site 404 Media. But in his heart, he's a reporter. He digs into stories. He describes himself in his bio as someone who loves Freedom of Information Act requests and surfing.
0: I do. I do love those things.
2: What have you been foying recently?
0: So I've been foying a lot about Pickleball.
2: Pickleball.
0: Yeah, the fights that it's been causing all over the country.
2: What are you hearing about like how how many FOIAs are we talking about here?
0: Uh for pickleball, I filed 25. 25
2: um, 25 different cities.
0: 25 different cities and towns.
2: At this point, you might have a few questions. First off, why pickleball? The answer to that has to do with this growing sport's aggressive lobbyists who are tying local governments up in knots. When he started his research, honestly, Jason did not know too much about that. He just knew what was happening down the block.
0: Yes. So I live near a paddle tennis court, which I did not know what paddle tennis was, but it's basically tennis but on a small court. And I was walking by these paddle tennis courts and I saw this big sign that was like pickleballers go home or pickleballers not welcome here. And I was like, what like what is going on? Like I th- I thought that people were playing pickleball here all the time. Um, but what happened was that pickleball players were like sneaking onto the courts when uh, they were open and they were playing pickleball when this was supposed to be a court for paddle tennis only. And when I saw that sign, I was like, oh, I bet these people, I bet there's like some, I always think how real life interacts with the government. And I'm like, I bet these people are complaining to the government about the pickleball people.
2: It turns out these people were complaining, a lot. And not just in Jason's neighborhood. The city of Dallas told him it had more than 100,000 emails mentioning the word pickleball, they couldn't even begin to forward them all. The city of Fort Lauderdale said it would need $10,000 to produce all of its pickleball discourse. I think one of, you said one of the emails was titled Pickleball Drama.
0: Yeah, this was at the end of like a 14-email chain between a local resident and the parks department. It was like a coworker venting to another coworker and forwarding the entire email chain and just being like, FYI, pickleball drama, like, Don't know what to do with this.
2: These emails are about who can take up public space and whether pickleballers are taking up too much of it. And if you're thinking, who cares? Jason says the fight over who can take up space in this country, it's kind of at the heart of the whole American project.
0: I've filed a lot of um, what I would say started as frivolous Freedom of Information Act requests in my (laughs) career and it's just like I I think that in sort of exploring the absurd we can learn more about how government works and you can take sort of like larger lessons from it.
2: Pickleball is a Trojan horse for you.
0: It is. I mean I I really went into this I was like I want to see completely unhinged emails from people. I found thousands.
2: Today on the show, what Jason's overflowing inbox can tell you about how the government's working right now, and who it's working for. And Pickleball. We've got a lot to say about Pickleball. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around.
1: That's shipstation.com with the code POD. All right. I'm going to assume you know
2: about pickleball by now. But on the off chance you do not, Jason Kebler says just imagine a Diet Coke version of tennis. It's slower and smaller, uses paddles instead of rackets.
0: It's honestly like a mix between ping pong and tennis, uh, but played on a small court. Like you're running around, but you don't have to run that far.
2: Yeah. One Washington Post columnist, (laughs) a guy who hates pickleball, said that players have to defend an area the size of a rug, which uh (laughs) little side eye there from the tennis community.
0: Yeah. While I was, I don't play tennis or pickleball. I I have played, but I, I don't play as a, I'm not a player.
2: That's how you avoid bias in a story like this.
0: Exactly. Yes, yeah, impartial person here. But over <laughs> Thanksgiving, I was about to to publish this story and I went to a family Thanksgiving and I started talking to people who I know who play tennis and I was like, "Do you know about the pickleball drama?" And every single tennis player that I've told this story knew exactly what I was talking about immediately. And there's this huge rivalry between tennis players and pickleball players and the tennis players have this like huge sense of superiority because they see their game as a real sport where you have to be physically fit, whereas one of the appeals of pickleball is that you don't have to run that much.
2: Pickleball has been around since 1965, which kind of surprised me because I'd only heard about it in the last few years. How did the sport start, but then also how did this surge start? Like what brought it on? Why is pickleball everywhere?
0: During the pandemic, people were looking for things to do outside. And I i mean, pickleball just like really, really surged in popularity during that. Um, there's a lot of like word of mouth. And then there's a lot of uh, evangelism from pickleball players. It's like <laughs> if you play pickleball, um, you want to get your friends involved in it.
2: You need people to play against.
0: You need people to play against. It's like my mom recently had a surgery, but she's like the second that my surgery like that I'm recovered, I'm going to play pickleball because all the other women in the neighborhood are playing pickleball. And I do think it's one of those sort of like word of mouth phenomenons.
2: And communities are spending real money to invest in pickleball. Like Washington, D.C. actually just set aside three quarters of a million dollars in their budget for new courts.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons I wanted to do the story, because there's very few pickleball-exclusive, dedicated facilities for pickleball only, and one of the goals of USA Pickleball is to have communities build new courts, and they're sort of pushing all over the country to get these courts made at the same time when local budgets for public space are are very low. And so I was very interested in sort of like, how how is this going to work? Because it seems like we build very few things in the United States anymore for the public good. And yet there's this really politically engaged community of pickleball players who want new facilities. So I wanted to see how that would play out.
2: I want to get into that, but I have one more question before we do. I was a little bit surprised to learn about the celebrity allies that pickleball has. Tom Brady, LeBron James, Drake. How are they involved in this sport and why?
0: I don't know how these people were initially introduced to the sport of pickleball, but you're absolutely right. There's these celebrity pickleball showdowns where you had Tony Romo. Uh, Tom Brady, Gary Vaynerchuk, like all of these pretty famous people play pickleball against each other in in tournaments in the same way that people play, you know, celebrity golf tournaments. Uh, And some of these are televised. And I don't know if you've watched any of them, but it's funny because the tournaments themselves, there's not that much sport happening, (laughs) at least in these celebrity ones. It's mostly like trash talking uh, because, they kind of have so much downtime between points. Um, they can kind of like yell and and play at the same time, uh, which I think is really funny.
2: Okay, so we've talked about pickleball advocates. I want to talk about pickleball haters. What do the pickleball haters hate so much about this sweet little sport? I mean, you've laid out a circumstance that does seem perfectly engineered to pit people against each other which is a push to have more pickleball resources in space that's already being used for other stuff so what are the people there complaining about like what are their top complaints
0: right so there's a there's multiple groups of people who hate pickleballers i would say that the <laughs> original pickleball haters are homeowners and homeowner associations because they say that the noise associated with pickleball, the plastic ball hitting the hard racket on a small court, like back and forth all day, they say that it is driving them crazy.
2: The noise is 15 hours a day, seven days a week. It's just too much.
0: And there's been like multiple lawsuits From homeowners and homeowners associations against specific cities where they say that, you know, one, they're being driven insane and two, they're worried that their property values are going down.
2: People get really dramatic about this. Like there's a New York Times article about these lawsuits. Someone described it as like having a pistol range in your backyard. Then there's the question of land use. Like you've talked about how tennis enthusiasts basically are just not having it from the pickleball people like they feel like their courts have been usurped by this sport
0: yes so this is actually what i found a lot more of when i was filing my public records requests in boston for example like there's these courts called the south street courts and you could reserve them and pickleball players had figured out how to book all of the slots for months on end and so there were all of these tennis players saying like, we ca- simply cannot play tennis because pickleballers are here at all times. It's funny. After I published the story, I saw this tweet and someone said, how can you tell whether something is a tennis court or a pickleball court? And the joke is a pickleball court has people on it. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the idea is that, is that like they're sort of just like spreading throughout these cities, taking up any blacktop, any concrete area, Basketball court, tennis court, roller hockey court. Pickleball,
2: pickleball, pickleball.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and the people who use these things to play basketball or tennis or roller hockey are very upset because they were used to playing basketball after school and now they can't.
2: Those people who figured out how to book all the courts, is that because they were especially organized or smart? I mean, I assume that the tennis people could also just go in and be like, I'm booking this until the end of time.
0: Yes. So I'm going to generalize here and stereotype. <laughs> but pickleball players are far more organized than other players of other sports based on thousands of emails that i read. So there, there are these people in c- city after city who are these quote-unquote pickleball ambassadors, and they are given a toolkit from this group called USA Pickleball about how to talk to local government to gain access to more public spaces. And USA Pickleball's strategy is, here's what you should say to city council or the parks department or your local politician to convince them to build new pickleball courts. But because of this NIMBY aspect where homeowners don't want pickleball in their backyard, it's really hard to build new pickleball courts in certain places. And so what is happening is pickleball players have to use already existing public infrastructure. So this means basketball courts, hockey courts, um, tennis courts, of course. And if there's a permitting system, it's like they're organized and they make sure how to like book out all of the permits. If there's not a permitting system, I, I saw emails where it's like, I will bring my net for crack of dawn to the tennis court and set up my pickleball net, and then we will play in shifts all day so that we we keep the court and the tennis players can't get on here.
2: That's crazy.
0: And you compare that, you sort of compare the like USA pickleball toolkit and these ambassador like pickleball organized pickleball players with the teenager playing pickup basketball after school like he doesn't know how to lobby the government for a permit or or whatever
2: well and he's not expecting to have to he's played at that basketball
0: court for years exactly exactly and I, i i saw a lot of emails from parents of teenagers who were like my kid came home crying because he couldn't play basketball and he was expecting to there was a lot of like, please, please fix this immediately emails.
2: After the break, one pickleball ambassador versus the city of New York. In the latest season of Blind Spot from WNYC Studios and the History Channel, join host Kai Wright as he travels back to a pivotal moment in the history of this country. Decades before COVID 19, a virus tore through some of our most vulnerable communities while the wider world looked away. Throughout the season, you'll meet people who demanded that they and their illness be seen mothers, children, doctors, nurses, nuns, and sex workers. All leading to a woman who literally helped change the definition of AIDS. Blind spot, the plague in the shadows. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Today in the Middle East, happens in Ukraine has consequences for what's around AI.
0: Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every
1: two weeks on Why It Matters wherever you listen. Okay, can we
2: break down like one specific pickleball war and what you learned from it? I'm wondering if it makes sense to start in New York City just because I know people were especially organized there. Like what did you learn about how the fights went down in New York?
0: So there was one specific pickleball ambassador in New York City who basically, I mean, this is what, her job, it's a volunteer job, but this is what her job was. She would walk around town and look for sort of any uninhabited concrete space, take photos of that space, and then email the parks department and say, you could put pickleball court here. Like, here's a pickleball court. You, it, it, could here, it could go here. It could go here. It could go here. It could go there. It could go there. And it was just like picture after picture after picture of just like random stretches of concrete.
2: And this person like really cared about pickleball like they're a player like who what what's happening here?
0: This this person was a USA Pickleball ambassador. So a pickleball super fan.
2: That's not an official term. This person is not like going to the U.N.
0: It's an official term in that USA Pickleball (laughs) calls them ambassadors. It has a pickleball ambassador program. But no, they're not foreign dignitaries. (laughs) But but they, it is an official title from the USA Pickleball organization. And if you are a USA Pickleball ambassador, you get a USA Pickleball email address. So it's like you are quasi officially uh, a member of this, of the national governing body for the sport of pickleball is what they call it. So this woman who I, I'm not going to name her because she's just a, a citizen, um, but she she is a pickleball instructor in New York City. So she wanted to, like, find places that she could both play pickleball and then teach students. It was her job. Oh, so she had a financial interest. She, she did have a financial interest. Yes. Um, so she put together a PowerPoint presentation uh, that was like it was just called pickleball. And it it had like a slide that was like history of pickleball, benefits of pickleball, pickleball court specs, stuff like this. Uh, And she had photoshopped a, a, a giant pickleball court on top of an existing basketball court with like dimensions on it. It looked like an architectural drawing, but it also looked like it was done in MS paint.
2: Get some clip art in there. Yeah, it,
0: it, it it was clip art it really was um so she sent this to the parks department was emailing the parks department pretty regularly and the parks department was responding and saying you know like we're gonna try to solve this for you like you're a constituent this seems like a good thing like we're gonna try to find place for you to play and eventually they were given space to play uh that was next to like a blacktop and next to a a basketball court. And if anyone has ever played any sport in New York city, it's like, there's a lot of stuff going on usually.
2: Yeah. You don't get, you don't have a lot of elbow room.
0: Yeah. And so there's this one email where uh, the parks department is like, Hey, we got a complaint that you took up more space than you were allotted. Like you you were supposed to only play in this one section, but you were also playing in this other section where you shouldn't, like, please, please stop doing that. And this woman responded and said, well, there was a kickball game happening and there was a dog with no leash on and there was a woman running with a stroller and a kickball like flew past my head and there was a basketball player who was really rude to us and I cannot believe that you are saying that we're the problem, like we're not the problem. And then there was like a back and forth between her and this Parks Recreation employee. And eventually she says, can I have your phone number to, to talk about this? Oof, elevating. The next email from that guy was like, you gave my phone number to everyone who plays pickleball. <laughs> my office is getting flooded with calls. And he said that the pickleball woman told them that they were gonna take away the pickleball court. And he was like, I didn't say that. It was inappropriate for you to say that. I've tried to, I've tried to help you, and now you're flooding my office with angry calls.
2: This is like aggressive advocacy. One thought I had when I was reading your reporting about this ambassador's program was that <laughs> it sounds like a lot of work you would need to have time to be a pickleball ambassador and you'd also know how to you'd also want to know how to p- pull the levers of power in government
0: yeah so i'm going to paint with a broad brush again but this is again based on reading real emails from real people all over the country it's like many of the pickleball ambassadors are retired many of them are former lawyers or there are people who were politically involved in some way. They have time on their hands. And they also, it's just like generally true that older people are more politically involved. They go to more city council meetings. They have more time to do this sort of thing. And so it is it is the case that the pickleball lobby is so organized in part because it has like experienced people working on this issue. One thing that I found really interesting is that a lot of the NIMBYs who are arguing against Pickleball are also older people.
2: (laughs) So boomers are eating their own?
0: They are. They are.
2: You know, your reporting on all this was just really fantastic, a great read, and the details were amazing. But I'm sort of curious to you what you came away with from it. Because you're not a pickleball player. Like why does it matter these fights over public spaces?
0: Yeah, so I don't know if this is too lofty, but this is honestly what I think. It's like one, I think public spaces and recreation are very important. I think that pickleball players should be allowed to play pickleball and I think that there, that tennis players should be allowed to play tennis and I think that we should have enough public space for people to play whatever sport they want. Like I don't have anything against pickleball, but I do think that if you extrapolate this out, there are documents that I got that it's like the average pickleball court costs about $10,000 to build.
2: Hmm, that's not nothing.
0: It's not nothing, but it's also not that expensive. It's it's like often the pickleball players volunteer to raise that money and give it to the city uh, in question. And even doing something as simple as putting a new patch of concrete on already on land that cities already own. It, it gets this resistance from homeowners where they are demanding that cities do noise assessments and economic uh, impact assessments and environmental assessments and traffic assessments and all of these things. And it becomes really difficult to build a, a patch of concrete like it's it's the easiest thing i can think of imagine trying to build a new train line imagine trying to build a new apartment complex and i i really do think that this is one of the reasons why it's so expensive and so arduous and so difficult to build new things in the united states because there are all of these sort of like organized groups that are trying to protect what they believe are their own interests and prevent anything from being built anywhere. And when that happens, we're all fighting over this like smaller and smaller public space.
2: Jason, I'm super grateful for you coming on the show. Thanks for doing it.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This was fun.
2: Jason Kebler is the co-founder of 404 Media. And if you also appreciated his dry wit... Please drop what you're doing right now and go check out the 404 Media Podcast. Jason hosts it. And that's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to find out how. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back here next time. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm like, sorry. I've never done this in an interview, but I find this so amusing. I'm like going to cry laughing. Okay, (laughs) go ahead.
1: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump,
0: judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the
1: big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.